0: on uh, Friday at the funeral of our sister Barb would go forth in power and and that Lord um, God would uh, have planted seeds in the hearts of those who need their Savior. Uh, Continue to pray for uh, God would raise up an elder uh, to help Pastor Walden in this place Um, and also pray that our building needs would be met and Provided for, we pray. Um, Anything else? Wyatt's home and doing okay. Yes. Okay. They were brothers, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that will be a a tough funeral to attend. Um. Anything else? How, How's your mom? You pray. We wanted to pray for her a while back. Well, that's that's a good thing. Uh, Ken. Our salvation is not found in politicians, that's for sure. But on the other hand, Christians are called to take a stand against evil. And uh, so we have to be alert to uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. So remember Patina, um, she attended here and is uh, having uh, physical issues and, and difficulties. And then uh, for those in Puerto Rico, Pastor uh, Weldon said he had been in touch with Pastor Vader down there. And that uh, he would probably have more to talk about uh, the situation here on Wednesday night. <clears throat> so that's uh, a good list for us to keep in mind, the elections in our country, um, the eldership, the building, Bettina, Norma, Costa Rica, and uh, Alice Cousins, in Port- Puerto Rico, okay, Puerto Rico, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, those are things that we should pray for. Uh, Brother Ken, would you bring us to the throne of grace, please? you Amen. Well, we find ourselves still in the book of Amos. And so if you haven't turned there yet, uh, you may do so. We've looked at the first part of the book where <coughs> pagan nations uh, were prophesied judgments, um, basically uh, for the way they have treated. Um, other people Uh, the inhumanity of man um, was part of their judgment and then uh, we can hear Israel cheering those judgments on and then Amos turns to Israel itself and Judah and declares um, judgment against them and uh, we saw that (coughs) The people were being greedy. They were using the poor uh, to advance their riches and their their own personal glory. Um, there was no justice in the land, in the court system, or in the marketplace. And um, Israel was a little bit surprised, because after all, uh, they had... Um, been, quote-unquote, religious. They had been going to the state um, uh, places of of worship. Um, They had set up idols. They had set up a ritual system. um, And um, they didn't understand why their religion was something that God didn't understand or accept. And so that was last week's lesson. We talked about God judging them because Uh, their um, lack of, well, it was man-centered religion as opposed to God-centered religion. And so we saw that occurring uh, last week. And so we're moving on uh, to the middle part of Chapter 5, and um, I'm going to... (coughs) mind relate a little bit of a story to maybe give you a, a better setting or understanding as to um, what's happening here with the nation of Israel. So um, come back with me to the days of yesteryear. Uh, for some of you, you can relate to this and some of you may be too young to relate to this, I don't know. Um, but in your mind's eye kind of picture, an elementary school playground. And I'm not talking about the kind we have today with plastic everything. I'm talking about uh, playgrounds that uh, had cool grass to lay on and look up into the clouds. I'm talking about a, a playground that had sandboxes where you could build little cities with your cars and trucks. It was also the home to gigantic swing sets. At least they seemed gigantic to a fourth or fifth grader. They had wooden seats. Now, not those rubber things that pinch you when you sit in the swing. When I had these wooden seats, a friend of mine would stand next to me on both sides. And they would be standing, and I'd be sitting, and we would start pumping those swings back and forth. Man, we were getting into the atmosphere up there. And then I would do a dumb thing, and that is um, jump into the spacewalk. And sometimes the back of that wooden swing would hit you in the head, and you'd get to see stars on your spacewalk. (coughs) There was the merry-go-round that nobody used after lunch because we knew we'd get sick to our stomach. And uh, teeter-totters that would... In my case, I could hold up anybody in the playground at the other end and threaten to roll off and drop them to the ground. But all the while I was out there having fun, I kept a close lookout for four or five guys known as the tyrants of terror or the bad boy bullies. You always had them in the peripheral vision. You always keep an eye on them because you knew sooner or later they were going to come around and Pick on you or pick on one of your friends. Their only goal in life is to strike fear into the lives of innocent people. We had no idea what made them come after us. We had never done anything to them. Well, maybe the occasional joke about being the dullest crayon in the crayon box. Or maybe because we were never they, we, they were never invited to our birthday parties, or when we deliberately put down wrong answers on our paper, knowing that they were copying them. And we definitely were not responsible for those mysterious unsigned notes that appeared on the principal's desk that uh, indicated that these guys were responsible for all the bad deeds for the last hundred years in the school. Anyway, the innocents were united, and we were bound together in almost a religious belief that we had done nothing wrong. We were waiting for the day that Mr. Munzer and his wrath would fall upon these bad boys Mind you, we had never seen it, but we knew that our principal, Mr. Munzer, had a paddle. Not just a paddle, but he had the paddle. We had never seen it, but we knew from rumors that it was seven foot long, made out of unbreakable fiberglass, and it had holes in it. And when he would swing that paddle, it would sound like a jet engine with air whistling through those holes. We, the innocent, look forward to the day of judgment on those bad boys. Well, I said all that to say this. Israel finds itself in much the same position. That's what's happening in Israel as we read as those who had grown rich by exploiting the poor became religious. They knew, like (laughs) the innocents in my story, from their law and from their traditions of Israel, that what they were doing was wrong, oppressing the poor, inflicting injustice on them. But that's why they became religious their religion kind of cloaked them in their sins. But they had practiced their injustices so long they eventually lost sight of the fact that what they were doing was wrong. Like my playmates on the playground, Israel considered their actions okay, began to look forward to the day when their Hard but necessary decisions and their right but misunderstood conduct would be executed. I'm not executed, excuse me, excused. They expected God to excuse them that they hadn't really done anything wrong. <clears throat> like we kids looking forward to Mr. Munzer's paddling of the bullies, Israel centered their hope on what was called the day of the Lord. So let's look at Amos 5.16. Amos 5.16, and we're going to be going to the verse 27. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of armies, the Lord says, There is mourning in all public squares, and in all the streets they say, Oh no, oh no. They also call the farmer to mourning, and professional mourners to mourning rites. And in the vineyards there is mourning, because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Woe to you who are longing for the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light, as, man, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear c- confronts him, or he goes home and leans with his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will the day of the Lord not be darkness instead of light, yet gloom with no b- uh, brightness in it? I hate, I reject your festivals nor do I delight in your festive assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fattened oxen. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll out like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, house of Israel? You also uh, carried along Sirkath, your king, and Tayun, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, who came, whose name is the God of armies. When it comes to prophecy, I have used the example in the past of a mountain range. And when you look at a mountain range at a distance, it all looked uh, like they were one, uh, one, one range of mountains. But as you get closer to them, you can see that they're separated and sometimes separated by many, many miles. And that is... The example I'm using with prophecy, once again, um, sometimes prophecy works the same way. The prophet Amos is definitely telling the people of Israel that judgment is coming. That's definitely part of his prophecy. But this same prophecy also has another meaning, a long-term implication into the future of the world. Here, the day of the Lord means the imminent destruction of the Assyrian army, as well as the future day of God's judgment upon the world. The day of the Lord is mentioned some 20 times in scripture. It refers to a day of some time in the future, unknown time, when the people of the earth will meet their God. And they will meet him in judgment. For those who are in opposition to him. Who deny any need of his mercy and grace. That day will be a terrible day. However for the faithful. It will be glorious. Briefly. The day of the Lord was the day which Jehovah would return in judgment to punish sin and set things right. The people longed for that day. They thought it would mean judgment of their enemies. This is Israel I'm referring to. They they figured like those playground kids, the bad boy bullies are going to get paddled. And here, if we seek God, he will come and judge our enemies. The day of the Lord would bring justice, and justice would bring punishment. The people deserve the punishment because of their sins. As we saw last week, God hates worship by people who go through the motions only for show. If we are living sinful lives and using religious rituals and traditions to make ourselves look good... God will despise our worship and not accept what we offer. What God wants is a worship from a sincere heart, not praises from hypocrites. Israel thought it would also mean a blessing for themselves, and above all, a sense of vindication. But Amos' point here, what we just read, is that it would be anything but that. Their idea of religion and God's idea of religion is certainly two different things. If the people of God were standing in the right relationship to God, which they would show by being faithful, by pursuing righteousness by exercising justice. The day of the Lord would be a a day of good for them. But since they were not doing this, the day that they had longed for to take care of their enemies would actually be a day of doom for them. They would be taken away beyond Damascus into exile. The day of the Lord brings us to a point where good men, Christian men, might part ways. Because it's a form of prophecy, it may be difficult in some to come to some kind of agreement as to the fullest and complete meaning of what the day of the Lord is. As most of you know, eschatology can be a sticky business. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that I'm the best one to open up these verses, because even at my age, I'm undergoing kind of a reevaluation, a realignment of some of the things that I believe in along these lines. However, it does fall within our study of Amos, so we'll give it a shot. So, what I'd like you to do is we're going to look at some verses dealing with the Day of the Lord. And um, what I'd like you to do is to kind of um, think about the characteristics of the Day of the Lord. What will it look like? And what will it sound like? So... um, Let's take a look. Take some of these verses. I'll sign some readings here, and uh, then we'll listen to the readings and see if we can come up with some characteristics of the day of the Lord. Um, Cliff, way back in the back, uh, would you look up Isaiah thirteen six through nine? And Matt, do you have your Bible there. Would you look up Ezekiel 30, verses two through three? Ken, would you look up Joel, um, chapter two, verses one and two? And then, if you can remember, I'll remind you. But then drop down to verse eleven and verse thirty-one in that same chapter. Dale, would you look up Zephaniah 1 14 through 15? And uh, Dale would you look up uh, Matthew 24 29 through thirty one? And Cliff would you look up second Peter 3:10? So what we're looking for here are some characteristics, some ideas of what the day of the Lord is, is all about. So uh, Cliff, if you could read um, Isaiah 13:6 through 9. What are the, some of the characteristics that you heard in there that will be involved with the day of the Lord? Fearful. Yep, yeah, fearful. Day of terror. Okay. Ezekiel 30, 2 and 3. of doom for many. Okay. Joel 2, 1 and
1: 2. What's
0: that? Yeah, I'll remind you. Yeah, 11 and 31, yeah. We hear darkness, we hear uh, light will be removed, uh, the moon will turn to blood, and any other characteristics, uh, be a frightful time for some. Zephaniah uh, 1, 14 through 15. Gloom. Characteristics of that. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. Second Peter three ten.
1: But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with perfect heat, the earth also, and the works that are in it shall be burned up.
0: Okay. If you're not in if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you're not if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, this is a, a, a cruel day, a day of wrath and anger. Many nations will be doomed, and there will be darkness and gloom. It will be dreadful, and one of the verses says, who can endure it? There will be great distress and anguish and mourning. And like Cliff just read it, It will come upon us as a thief in the night without much warning. Let me take a couple of these characteristics and kind of open them up a little bit. Um, The first characteristic I'm looking at is darkness. This is a day of darkness, not light, in view of the references we've just uh, read they say that the light of the sun and the moon and the stars will be blotted out it is possible that this involves a literal darkness like i said i'm rethinking some of this myself however there may be more than just a physical darkness referred to in here in the bible the light the bible the lights And darkness are powerful images. Light is good because it is associated with God. God said to dwell in the midst of unapproachable light. Psalm 104:2 says, "The Lord wraps Himself in light as with a garment; He stretches out the heavens like a tent." And Jesus said that He is light itself. I am the light of the world. <laughs> uh, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John eight twelve. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John nine five. Things tend to thrive in the light. I remember, again, back in those days of yesteryear, doing a a science experiment in our fourth and fifth grade class. We planted a seed, uh, and uh, it started to grow, and we put one seed on the windowsill so it could get light, and we put one in the closet and shut the door. It was very evident as to which one would thrive, the one in the light. By contrast, darkness is usually looked at as bad or evil. Evil grows in the darkness. So when Amos says that the day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness, it does not necessarily mean, though it could mean, that the sun is going to be blotted out and the earth is going to get literally dark. But I'm sure he also means that God's blessing will be withdrawn. And men and women will be without the light of life. Jesus Christ so let's carry this idea of darkness to its logical end when people are in the dark they are without God so the day of God's judgment is going to be a day in which those who have not come to God through the faith and mercy of Jesus Christ will be separated from him Some biblical scholars would argue that the Old Testament emphasized the law, and the New Testament emphasizes grace, and that the Day of the Lord will be the end of the period of grace. Thus, since the Day of the Lord will be to judge those who rejected God and His authority, it will be a day of joy for God's people because they will be removed from the earth and united with God. And again, that's still when that happens and how that happens is still up for a lot of debate. Some people would say, so what? I'm separated from God now. I'm doing all right. Why should I worry about being separated from God hereafter? How would you answer that question? Yeah, it's a good point you're making. Yep. Mentally, perhaps this person is separated, and willfully he's rejected God. But in practical terms, you're not. He's not nearly as separated as he thinks he is, and certainly not like Rachel said. Not like it's going to be an eternity. For the presence of God surrounds us. God makes this world in which you can earn a living, provide for your family, put a roof over your head, and enjoy life. God is responsible for all that. This person who says I'm separated from him is really not on practical terms. In James 1.17 we read that God is the source of all good, If this person would imagine a time when you are completely separated from God and his goodness, name anything you consider a good and then imagine it being taken away, living without it. Friendship. No, friendship is not. Friendship is of God. Love. That is from God as well. Self worth, peace of mind, health, laughter—all those things are from God. And when we start to think about these terms, being all these things being gone, and uh, it becomes a very dark, dark world to live in. This doctrine is not some historic relic from the past. It, also speaks to our generation this is God's word which is unchangeable and is forever true so will you live without God now then in a greater sense you will live without God forever so the people make a choice they reject God as in the days of Amos And as in our day as well. But like I used to tell my students in school, ideas have consequences. If you reject the idea of God, it will be eternal consequences as a result. Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? The second characteristic of the day of the Lord is isolation. While we have light, we see one another and feel that we are in one another's presence. Um, even though we are separated by space physically, when we smile, sometimes we get a smile back. You know, there's, We're not in isolation. We're not living uh, alone. When somebody waves, perhaps you'll get a wave back. But that's not the case in the day of the, of the Lord. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of going through Mammoth Cave, but I went on a tour down there once, and there was a group of us. We were all together. and uh, We got down to an underground lake down there, <clears throat> and uh, we could see across the lake, and we saw an image that looked about this tall. There was an image of Paul Bunyan who was about, uh, I think they said he was about 60 foot tall. But he looked this big. So our perspective down there in the dark cave was, was distorted. And then they had us put our hands up here to our face, touch our nose, and they turned out the lights. And you talk about isolation. You talk about being alone. I couldn't see my hand. And it started a little panic, even though we were all together and we were all safe. That darkness was so immense and so terrifying. This is an image of what it will be like in eternity without God. Satan separates things. In the devil's path, you will be increasingly isolated from God, and you'll be increasingly isolated from other people. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis pictures hell as a city from which most of the people have withdrawn. I grew up outside of Detroit, and a lot of people in Detroit went out to the suburbs, and then beyond those suburbs, and then beyond those suburbs, and that's what uh, C.S. Lewis is picturing here. People moving further and further away until you're the only one left in the area that you're living in. You're in complete isolation. In Lewis's book, hell is increasingly isolation in which people spend their time thinking about the past hurts that they had and how much they hate other people. They spend their time alone, unable to talk to anybody. Nobody understands what they're going through. Nobody sympathizes with them. That's what it means to be in a dark place spiritually. By contrast, heaven is a place where all are increasingly drawn together. God draws people to himself. That's why when we recently studied heaven, we found in scripture that millions and millions of people gathered around the throne of God. And millions and millions of people were singing his praises. Those millions of people not only wanted to know God more, an intimate relationship with him, but they wanted to know each other as well. Another characteristic of the day of the Lord is that it is inescapable. In verse 19, Amos writes of a man trying to escape a fierce lion. In this context, the lion is the lion of Judah. And as we said last week, he's not a pansy or a weakling. He is the, god of, the lion god. We see here Amos picturing for us a person trying to run away from God, fleeing in a life-or-death race. To He returns down another path only to meet God as a bear. Frightened and exhausted, he, he runs around the bear and he heads home, slams the door, To avoid God. Puts his hand on the wall and is bitten by a snake and dies. This is a picture of God in the day of his wrath on the ungodly. God is inescapable. Amos declares, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Well, I have a few more items, but I'm going to cut it off here. Any thoughts or comments about the day of the Lord?
2: Yeah. I was thinking about how noisy it would be the trumpets and people crying. Morning. There's so much, so much loud noise.
0: I don't know about you, but when there's lots of noise, you can't think. Yeah. Panic mode. I believe that there is a day on the calendar that God will return. But some of these events we just read about could be kind of like the day of my youth, I told you at the beginning of the the hour. That was over a period of time. So it's possible that God will begin this at a certain point. And it will stretch out over a period of time, depending on how you interpret the word "day." Day is used in a couple of different ways in the Scripture, and um, it could be just one day, or it could be a series of uh, many days that will involve uh, the day of the Lord. Any thoughts, comments? Just
2: I uh, think.
0: what I'm Saying it has,
2: there's a concept of the already and the not yet, right? And the coming is the last day, right? And we need to be ready.
0: For that. Yep. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. In regard to your hypothetical friend who asked, I'm already separated from God, what's the big deal? Yeah.
0: All you're doing is sitting there thinking about how despicable I am. <laughs> All right, well, I see there's somebody waiting in the wings, so I will, will close in prayer. Lord God, abide with us this day. We read your scripture and we're in awe and anticipation of the day of the Lord. Lord, we pray that you would show continued mercy. Forgive us of our sins, that this day of the Lord would be a glorious day for those who believe in Jesus Christ, and a day of fear and trembling for those who don't, those who have rejected you, those who have denied who you are. Lord God, we pray that uh, your kingdom would be expanded even this day. Bring some of these people into your household, we pray. Bless the pastor as he preaches the coming service. And that, Lord, your spirit would dwell among us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.